I'm blessed to be a, an American patriot, but more than that, I'm glad to be a kingdom subject. Yes. You know, the Lord, he loves, he loves his world, and that includes every tribe, nation, tongue, everybody. And so it's good to be an American, and I'm glad to celebrate Independence Day. Um, I'm also praying for our nation, that our nation would reflect the Lord's kingdom, because America does not have it all figured out, but the Lord is good. And so praise God that we can honor him and celebrate the freedoms that he has given us and know his goodness. But also, let's remember, we're, we belong to Jesus first. Amen? Amen? This morning, will you please turn with me to Matthew, the book of Matthew? We're going to look at chapter 15 together, Matthew chapter 15. Once upon a time, I was traveling... And um, I, I think I've told you this story before, so if it's redundant, forgive me. But I was traveling, and the person next to me on an airplane, an 18-hour flight, smelled not good. Have you ever had that happen to you when you're stuck in a confined space with somebody? Um, I have the honor, and I can say this now because he's not in the room, but I have the honor of coaching my third-grade son's baseball team, which has been really fun. Third graders, this is the first year of kid pitch, which is traumatic. So I told all the children the very first practice, I was like, you will get hit with the baseball this year. And they looked at me terrified. One kid one is like, I quit. <laughs> you know, the last game, two games ago, we had a really late game, which is wild, because summertime, you know, you got summer camps or whatever for the kids or whatever they're doing. Swimming all day. Do you remember swimming all day? Man, that was so great when we were kids. And so these kids are swimming all day, and then we had a baseball game at like 8 o'clock at night, which is like some of their bedtimes, because they're third graders. And so we started this game. I had four kids crying halfway through. They were just done. They were just emotionally drained, and then they struck out or got hit with a baseball, and they're like, I can't do this. I hate this game. I hate doing I don't want to be here. I don't want to do anything. Tomorrow I just want to swim. I was like, okay, it's all right, buddy. Anyway, they're, they're so great. But the last game we had, um, some of those kids smelled not good. Not good. I had one, I couldn't put my finger on which one, but a group of three of them would come up to check the batting order and stuff. And every time they did, I'd be watching the game, like, whoa, <coughs> what? What is happening? There was somebody, wow, bad. So imagine that smell for a minute. I'm trapped on an airplane 18 hours with, with that. And it just would not go away. And I was like, this is awful. Here's the problem. I got off the airplane and I walked to the restroom and it stayed with me. And I realized in that moment, it's me. <laughs> and in my haste to get out the door, because I had to be at the airport like 3 in the morning, I did not wear deodorant. And it was not a, I felt terrible. I judged everyone on that plane. And I was like, Lord, forgive me. My true colors are coming out. Forgive me for judging all these people. It was me. How awful. How awful. Praise the Lord for his word. We're going to look at Matthew 15. And all that will make sense as we get going. Matthew chapter 15. Here's what's happening in Matthew. The Lord Jesus is uh, continuing his ministry, and he is walking around. He's called all the disciples. He is moving throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Now he's in the very north area of, of Israel, uh, past Galilee where he's from, past north of Nazareth. Um, this is the area where he's going to feed the 5,000, feed the 4,000. He is has big crowds with him is what's happening, and people know his reputation, and so that has led to two things. The first thing is, knowing his reputation, those who are against him are coming to try to trap him, 
So they want those sound bites that they can throw on Facebook or whatever to try to trap him. The other people are people who have ailments, especially who know that Jesus heals people. And so the word tells us that even those who are just touching the tassels of his garment, the very fringe of his garment, are being healed. And so that happened, of course, the most famous story is the woman with the issue of blood. But it's also happening in this area. Imagine now feeding of the 5,000, thousands of people. And as Jesus walks through the crowd, just by touching his clothes, thousands are healed. That's incredible. It's the power of King Jesus. And that's what Matthew wants us to know is not just that Jesus is a great teacher or a great healer, but he is God and he is the king of the world. Not only uh, is he going to prove that through how Jesus interacts, but also notice Jesus has power over creation. He can expand food and multiply it. He can, he can walk on water. He can calm storms. He can kind of uh, miraculously get to places quickly. It's amazing all the things that Jesus can do. And so Matthew is proving to us over and over and over that we should trust Jesus. He's the king of the world. He's the creator. He's God. And so now we pick up in Matthew 15 as the people are understanding this. And what's happened here, we're actually going to look at, at 14. Let's look at 14 because it's so cool about the fringe. Uh, chapter 14, verse 34. What's happening here is some people are going to come and try to trip him up, and then he's going to use that for a teaching. So here's what happens. Let's start at Matthew 14, verse 34. And when they, that's the disciples, had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized them, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. How awesome. Don't you want to be in that meeting? Man, praise God. Then chapter 15, verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father and mother will surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. For, so, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did, is, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Lord, help us. Praise God for his word. So, imagine you're in this great meeting. In all the region, anyone who's just touched the fringe of Jesus' garment is healed. How incredible. And out of that meeting, some seminary professor kind of people, some people who are, are uh, judges in the courts. These are people who are lawyers. These are people who are the most educated. These are the people who are supposed to teach the law to everybody else. These are the people who have literally handled the paper, which is a high honor in this time. Not everybody has Bibles. There's only a few. And the scribes who get the honor of handling that paper and copying those words, that is a big deal with tons and tons of training and tons of accuracy, and your handwriting has to be perfect. Did you know that the White House, speaking of our American tradition here, has two full-time calligraphers? 
the White House employs two full-time calligraphers and they're paid very well with your tax dollars because their job is to write all the invitations for the president to anything. So anytime the president needs something written, there are two people who are paid a lot of money to write really fancy. Now imagine, even with computers, that still happens today. Imagine in this time period where education is scarce, where paper is scarcer, and now you have scribes whose job is to copy those papers down, and the accuracy and the investment of time and you know, to be able to get to that level is a huge feat. These are the PhDs of the world. And they've come to Jesus on the heels of Jesus healing everybody who, not he touches, but who touches him and just the fringe of his garment. And what's their question? What's their question in chapter 15? Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they eat without washing their hands. What a weird question. Because they've just witnessed miraculous power by Jesus. What would be a real good question that you would want to ask Jesus? If you were there, what would you want to ask him? Yeah, who are you? Tell, how should, what, should, what do we need to do? You've proven that you're from God with this power. Tell us, what are we missing? What, what can, we, can I follow you? What can I do? Could you come to my house? My neighbor needs you. I know things. I know a couple people. That, can they touch? Listen, maybe I could cut a tassel off and take it with me. Will that work? Like this, those would be natural questions, right? Or, or something. And when you see power like this, it becomes usually introspective. If you see something happening, God's power is displayed, and immediately you think, wow, the Lord is so powerful. And, and sometimes when we see him in that power, we think, where am I in relation to him? That's what I mean by this introspective look. Think about the first time that you met Jesus. Think about the first time that you knew the fear of the Lord. He's not just tickles and giggles. And in salvation, a lot of times we do feel the joy and the love and the grace of God, and that's good because that's the kingdom. But also, he is the judge of the earth. And so now, being confronted with God, these people are coming with a question about a tangential legal issue. And you can feel their heart attitude, can't you? Can you feel the poison dripping out of this? That they want to get, they want to nick him. If they can nick him with this poison, it'll do something. Here's what's amazing, too. They have journeyed from Jerusalem far to come up here to try to trap him. And forgive me for putting it this way, a dumb question. And on the way, the best they could come up with is, I don't think the disciples washed their hands. Maybe that'll get him. But these are the elite of the elite who have traveled here. Imagine for a moment that you've had a meeting, a bunch of people are, are, you know, things are happening, God's moving, it's amazing, and all of the political elites that you see on CNN or on C-SPAN or on Fox News or whatever suddenly show up at your door, and you're meeting them, and you're like, well, hello, hello, Mr. Biden, it's great to see you. And they're like, did you wash your hands? <laughs> That's, this is basically what's happening here, it's just fascinating. Fascinating. So these people are coming and they're trying to trick Jesus. And Jesus is not going to give in to it. What does he tell them? He says to them, you're hypocrites. How can you say to me, 
have my disciples washed their hands when I know that you are voiding the very word of God and his commandments to do what you want, to stand on your traditions. And now what they did was they had a special vows that they could make, especially the Pharisees, especially the elite people who had the PhDs. They would make these special vows where all of their life was, was given to God and they were going to do everything they could to serve him. And they were better than other people because of that. And so out of that vow, they also had a special clause in there that if your parents were ailing in any way, you didn't have to be released from your special priestly duties to go help your family. Instead, whatever you would give to your parents in terms of honor or in terms of money, you just give that to God. And you can stay in your place and stay in Jerusalem and keep your nice penthouse apartment and it's fine and everything's good. Because we all know the realities of caring for people. Caring for people is hard. It's costly, it's emotionally costly, it's financially costly. And God's word said, you will honor your father and mother. And they took that scripture and said, you know, actually, if we just vow to God, you don't have to do that anymore. So you can be released from all that stuff, and instead you're giving it to God so it still looks good. Now, I'm telling you right now, there are godly people, I'm sure, who wanted to be serving God, who were trying to follow after him, who thought, I'm really doing great by abandoning my duties to the commandments and following these traditions. Think about Paul, the Apostle Paul. Before he was converted and became Paul, he was Saul, and he was on a mission to kill Christians, thinking that he was really serving the living God and missing the mark. And so there were people with good fervor, with zeal for God, in their hearts that were misguided by these traditions and by these hypocrites because the PhDs were saying, you don't have to do those things. Don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about what the Bible actually says. As long as you're doing it this way, you're fine. And really, it's more important to make sure your hands are washed than actually heal people or help them. They're gross. They smell bad. So we're going to stay in this ivory tower. And those peons stay down there. And that's the attitude that starts coming out. Jesus says to them that Isaiah's prophecy was right, that this people honors me, honors God with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from God. Then Jesus goes on and he says in verse 10, read it with me. He says, and he called the people to him. There's a lot of them. And he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Praise the Lord. Now, wash your hands before you eat. 
Smart. Smart to do that. Jesus is not talking about germs. Please understand. Don't take this and be like, I never washed my hands because Jesus said to, if I wash my hands, I'll be disobeying God. That's, you missed it. Don't do that. That's not true. Um, if you're a doctor, definitely wash your hands before you do anything with people or after people, for that matter. But what he's saying is, there's a proverb that says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what God is saying, understand what God is saying. God, Jesus Christ himself who created everything, who Matthew is showing us and proving to us is the king of all creation. What God is saying is, you can eat anything and it won't defile you. Now to a Jewish person hearing that, that's unfathomable because the regulations for ceremonial cleanliness mean we cannot eat shrimp, cannot, cannot eat pork. We cannot have those things. We can't touch those things. That's not okay for us. If we do, God will not receive us. But God himself is saying, it's not what you put in. Because honestly, and he's a little earthy here, isn't he? It goes through the stomach, it's expelled. Hey, you're going to potty it. It's not, that's not important. What's important is out of that overflow of the heart, when the mouth speaks, now things come out of you. And what comes out is selfishness at the end of the day. Selfishness and pride. And that junk comes out so quickly. And now your mouth, in speaking it, you fall. And it defiles you. You know it's amazing that God has given people the ability to speak? No animals have the ability to speak but us. Other than a couple little instances in Scripture that were outside the norm. But the norm is only people get to speak. And parrots really try, but they don't get to do what we do. And, you know, that's important because we're image bearers of God. And it's by speaking that God created the earth. So when you speak something, whether it's for good or for ill, you are image bearing God to be like him. This is why James tells us, be careful of your tongue. That little rudder can turn the whole ship. And out of it comes worship to God and also hellfire for people. How out of the same mouth can come dripping poison like the Pharisees and worship for God? It can't. And so we have to have redeemed tongues that now speak God's word, and that's what comes out of us. And Jesus is telling even the disciples and all the people around that these hypocrites, the Pharisees that say, oh, you can do whatever you want, just, don't, just disregard those, it doesn't matter, that really they're defiled by their own speech. And that's offensive to them. It's offensive because it's aimed right at them. And you can't get away from it. And I'm going to tell you this as a little pastoral aside. You're going to say things and have to say things that are offensive to our culture. That are going to be offensive to the PhDs and to the very smallest. You're going to have to say things that are offensive because the Bible tells us that we cannot stand for sin. We have to proclaim the gospel. And if you tell people that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, it means that there are other ways that are not truth, that are not life, and that are not the way. And you're going to have to stand your ground to say, I know God, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's only by his gospel, his death and his resurrection, and faith in Jesus, and repentance and following him, that you are going to find joy and life. 
I was going to tell David, uh, who's with the kids right now, with that little shirt, he should hold that shirt, and he should ask himself, does this bring me joy? <laughs> and if it really is just a reminder that you know, his body's not where he wants it to be, he should throw it away, because you should live your best life. And I'm telling you, those are lies. And those are philosophies that people are building their lives upon. And if you say you're finding joy in trying to get rid of things, but you're missing God, it's going to be offensive to people. Because what do they want you to do? They want you to walk in their house and see the minimalistic beauty of it and be like, oh, you get it. You're amazing. This is so good. But the moment you don't confirm that lifestyle, which, hey, that's great. If it, throw things away, praise God. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out. And so you can say, these things bring me joy. But at the end of the day, if poison is dripping out of your heart and out of your mouth against God, against his people, against righteousness, against peace, if you're sitting on the airplane judging everyone around you because you can't smell yourself, there's a problem. And it's going to be offensive to people. Now, I will also tell you, don't throw that on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the kids use today because it won't help you. Because God's also called us into relationship and to bear with one another. And so now in the context of relationship and friendship and reaching out to people and, and taking people to Jesus so they can just touch the fringe of his garment, that's where we have these discussions. And it will be still offensive, but he's the rock of offense. You don't have to be the rock of offense. Just lead them to Jesus and they'll fall over him or they'll fall on him and find grace. Does that make sense? Because he is grace. He is life. It's his gospel. It's his power. He's the king. He's the Lord. Bring them to Jesus. You don't have to try to judge everybody and, and figure out what's coming out of their hearts. Just bring them to Jesus. He will do that. And he will do that with his word in a way that tells them exactly what's going on in their heart. And guess what? Jesus is about to do that with the, with the disciples. Let's read here in chapter 15 again in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and she was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now the Pharisees have come from their ivory tower from Jerusalem. They've made a long journey up. They've seen thousands gathered who are touching the hem of Jesus' garment, just the fringe and being healed. And they have one question for him. And that question is, did your disciples wash their hands? Are they following the traditions? And Jesus says, it's not what goes in a person that defiles them. It's what comes out. And now the disciples have gone into another region and a Canaanite woman, a pagan woman who lives three miles from the biggest temple 
of fertility and healing in the land and the pagan tradition. Has foregone her way of her people to instead seek out Jesus, a Jew, though she's a Canaanite woman, though she's a pagan unbeliever. And she falls before him saying, Jesus, Lord, son of David. How does she know this? She's heard of his fame. She's giving him a royal title. And Jesus says nothing. And then the disciples come. And what do they say to her? Lord, let her touch just the hem of your garment. Instead, poison from their own hearts starts to drip out. And they send her away. Because the problems of your people are important. But the problems of those people, they don't deserve it. Which is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. And dripping poison out of their mouths, they say, Lord, send her away. She's bothering us. What does Jesus say? Should I give bread from my children to the dogs? And what great faith and persistence she has to come to him to fall at his feet and say, Lord, even the crumbs off the table are given to the dogs. Please. And he turns. Isn't it funny how he's like changes from sort of stoic away to compassion and, and ultimately heals her daughter, gives her what she wants. Why is that? It almost looks like Jesus is very callous and uncaring here, doesn't it? Here's, here's the thing, though. Imagine it this way. Nora, come here. Come here. Let's say that um, these are the disciples right here. Okay? These are the disciples in this section right there, blessed among people. Right? Here's the woman. She's there. She's crying. So cry out. Got to do some motions. No, you can do it. Come on. Cry out. All right, she's crying out, right? And Jesus says, nothing, because he's looking at them. What's in your heart? He already, ready? He knows what's in hers, and she's desperate. What's in your hearts, disciples? We just talked about this. Have you ever done that with your children? We just talked about this. And he's doing that with his children. And he says the same things the Pharisees say. The dogs. You know, that was how they called the Canaanites. Did you know if a Jew touches them, they'll be unclean for worship? Which is the same thing the Pharisees came. Did they wash their hands? If they didn't wash their hands, they're not pure for worship. They can't come into your... Thank you, you can sit down. You did great. They're not... They didn't, can't come into God's presence. You can't worship. You can't go to church and see God unless you wash your hands. And you better wash them right or you are out. And that's the Pharisees had made these regulations. That's what they're trying to trip up the disciples and Jesus on. That's the venom that they're trying to use to get a wound into Jesus. And now Jesus is using the same thing. And he said, it's not the food. That's clean. Because he's about to make a, a proclamation that the whole world is going to be made clean through him. Not just the Jews, but even the Gentiles, even the Canaanites, even the enemies will be brought in. Thanks be to God. And now he's looking at the disciples saying, did you get it? Did you get it? Because here comes this woman who's coming to me desperate. 
And all you have to do is lead her. Take here, take my coat. Just put it on her. Let her touch the fringe of your garment. See what happens. But they don't come and say, Lord, we prayed for her. Nothing happened. They don't come and say, Lord, we fed her. We don't know what to do. They don't come and say, Lord, here's this woman. She's in, in dire straits. Can you maybe just say a word? Because with a word, you calmed the storms. With a word, you walked on water. With a word, you've done miraculous things. Surely you can change her life. Instead, they say, send her away because she is bothering us. And Jesus is looking at the disciples using the same language. Really, he mutes the language. In the original Greek, he says, he doesn't say, throw it to the dogs. He says, should I take the bread from my children and give it to the pups? The little dogs, the puppies. So he's, for her sake, I think, even making the language a little muted instead of using the slur that they all use. But for the disciples, it reveals their heart. What's in them that now the mouth speaks? And the mouth does not speak compassion. It does not speak grace. It does not speak gospel. It speaks separation. It speaks pride. It speaks selfishness. What you have is for us, not for them. And she persistently says, Lord, please, even the scraps I'll take. And by her faith, ready, better than most of those disciples that he's already come to. All they had to do was reach out while he walked by and touch, and they were healed. But she has to come against tradition. She has to come through the reviling of the people. She has to get through the disciples to get there, and they're, oh, don't touch her. Oh, gross. That's how they are, because if they touch her, they're unclean for worship. And she has to get through all those attitudes to get to God. And, ready? He doesn't respond right away. He doesn't even acknowledge her. Why not? Because the disciples are supposed to. The disciples are supposed to. So here's the question. What's in your heart? When people come before God, are you more happy to be in that ivory tower and separate in a way because you don't want the smell on you? Do you bring them straight to Jesus? Do you take, give them the hem of your garment and say, touch it, see, he's in me. We'll see what happens. All, to, all glory be to Jesus, but let's try it. Is that our attitude? Or is our attitude like, ugh, ugh, ah, I can't. First of all, I don't want to offend you. Secondly, you're offensive to me. And that becomes the attitude. Are God's people who he is bringing to himself offensive to us? Sure they are. Of course. But look what Jesus did. He ate with the tax collectors. He ate with the sinners. He was around them because it's the sick who need a physician. And so now we have to open up our hearts and say, Lord, what's coming out of me? Is it poison or is it your grace? But here's the great news. The great news is that Jesus will from this place go and succumb to the venom of those Pharisees. He will be tried in court, and though innocent, he will be proven guilty. And though there are no reasonable charges that can stand against him, the people will chant for a traitor and a murderer to be released in his place. And he will go, though innocent, like a lamb to the slaughter without opening his mouth. He will go to the cross for us. He will die a violent and horrible death in which the spiritual reality of him becoming our sin on 
on our behalf, he will become the object of God's wrath. All of God's wrath for our sin, our vileness, our selfishness, our pride, our venom will be put onto Jesus. And he will take that whole punishment dying in our place. And three days later, he will conquer the grave by raising again. He will come back to life. He will shine in his glory. He is God affirmed. And Matthew's gospel tells us he is God. He is king and he is seated on the throne. And now we come to him in faith and say, Lord, here's my heart. There's venom in it. Forgive me. And what God does is so miraculous because he takes that heart away. He makes us a new creation in himself. And as he rose, we have faith that we rose with him. And now we are his. And so what beats through you now is not selfishness. It's not pride. It's not venom any longer. But it's him. Because he has indwelled us. Be who you are. If you open your heart and you see any venom in there, be quick to say, Lord, forgive me. Because God will also give us opportunities in which he will bring someone to himself, but maybe he's looking right at us. Maybe they're crying out and God seems to not answer because he's telling you to do something. And you're ready? Have you, have you thought of this? What if you're the answer to somebody's prayer? What if God has commissioned you to be and do the miracle in their life. And they're seeking and crying out and hoping that God will do something and persistently coming. And the whole time the Lord is saying, yes, go. Yes, I'm saying yes, go, go. Because he's using us. And out of his power, he enables us. He fills us with power. He fills us with his gospel. And you know what? Even Jesus said, if you don't know what to say, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. He gives us resources. He gives us life. He gives us everything we need. If there's breath in our body, it means that he is ruling. And so you're enabled to do all that he's called you to. And that venom is dripped out of you and taken care of on the cross. And now if you ever see it come back, you say quickly, Lord, forgive me. And he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And now we're still walking with him and doing all that he's commanded us to do. And ready, making a difference for the kingdom. Because everywhere we step, the kingdom goes. So much so that Paul's snot rag was healing people, just like Jesus' fringe. And you can do that too, if the Lord does it. Now, I'm not saying all our snot becomes holy. I'm still telling you to wash your hands before meals. But I'm telling you, let's not let the attitudes of our traditions and outside of God cloud our thinking so that instead now we can see him. We want to see what God is doing. We want to follow him, don't we? When I was in the military years ago, we had a training exercise one time. And I went out in the field, and um, we were going strong, and things were really good. And then day three, I kept getting called for missions. And so this training thing was 11 days long. And um, I kept getting called for missions and called for missions. And I, I was so tired. It was so hot. It was in Louisiana, which is... Maybe the gates of hell are there, possibly, because it's so hot. It's not really, I'm joking. Louisiana's great for those who love it. Um, but it was so hot. And so I'm there, and I'm on the base, and I'm working, and we're in all our gear, and we're doing our stuff, and uh, stuff is going on. And at one, at one point, my commander decided that he was going to uh, lead a battle charge. And he was a, is a great commander, is still in the military, and he's very wise. But on this particular day, he pulled up in his Jeep, his Humvee, and jumped out during a battle like this. Like, like really did that and got shot by a sniper in two seconds. 
fake. It was fake. But he was like, Phew. ow! And then he was out. He was dead. And so then they were like, you're in charge. <sighs> OK, so now, like, instead of the reprieve of things, it was just constant. Uh, we were on for 11 days. We were 21 hours on, three hours off every day. Until we, I mean, on the way back, we had to pull over and stop because we were falling asleep at the wheel. Anyway, long time. So day seven, I had not been able to get to the showers. And the pace was so high, I, I didn't have time to change my uniform. I was just going. Now, I wore that like a badge of honor because there were other people walking around with clean boots. Clean boots. What's wrong with you? We had a word for them. The word was fobbit. Because on the base was called the forward operating base, FOB. If you never left the base, you were a FOBbit, like a hobbit. It's like, FOBbits. Look at me, I'm dirty. And I thought that was awesome. Until I walked into a meeting, and one of the like 30-year veterans pulled me aside, and he's like, you smell terrible. And I was like, what? He goes, you got to get out of here. He goes, We're, you're making people sick. She's throwing up. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, please, shower. Now, there was a problem with that because I tried. I tried four times. And every time I walked down there with my towel and my three hours off, showers were turned off. The engineers were like, no one needs water at this time of day. Anyway, long story short, here's what I'm trying to tell you. When I finally took off my uniform, it stood up and waved at me. It did my taxes for the year. It was weird. And folded itself and put it in my bag. It was very strange. It took seven washings to cleanse it of those demons. The whole point of that story is this. Sometimes our perspiration and the smells that we have to our own nose makes us better than other people. The mud on our boots, and we feel like, I'm doing something for God. You fobbits, follow me. But I'm telling you, if you're washed in him, his work on the cross is our salvation. There's no, we bring work out of gratitude to God, and we should work hard. But it's his cleansing, it's his righteousness, it's his peace, it's his joy, it's his kingdom, it's his people, it's his ministry, it's his power, it's his because it's him. And maybe it's time that we smell ourselves too. And just say, am I working in my own self and my own perspiration? Or am I working out of God's work and what he's called me to? You know, the Pharisees took a good law and made a bad thing out of it. The good law was... Whenever the priests came in to do service, they had to be clean, fully clean. And you know why? Because in the temple, the Lord did not allow perspiration. He didn't want the smell of man's work in his temple. So every priest coming to service had to wash completely, wash their feet, wash their hands before they did anything. Because the regulations were to be in God's presence, you cannot come on your merit. You come on my calling. And they took that regulation and twisted it into this thing for worship where they were trying to trap up Jesus. But our question today is, on whose merit are you coming to him? On whose merit are you trying to minister to people? If it's on your own, we will fail. But if it's in him, he has all the resource, all the power, all the might, all the wisdom. He is our all in all, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Let's stand. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you are so good. Lord, as we look at your word here, we ask you, Father, that you will open our own eyes to see our own hearts. Lord, if there are places that we have shunned those that you're calling, 
if there's places that we have not been willing to be offensive for your gospel, if there are places that we are offensive to you because we're trying to come in our own might, forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness according to your word. But open our eyes that we would see. Lord, it brings me comfort that even the disciples walking with you, they didn't understand. Sometimes, Lord, we don't understand, and I confess to you, we just need you. But thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to us so that we might know you and serve you. And so, Father, I pray for a fresh anointing on every person here. Lord, that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit to fullness. Lord, we know we can never be apart from you, but sometimes we confess we feel far away. Lord, bring us in close. Lord, tell us again your word. Lord, fill us up not with pride in ourselves, but Lord, let us boast in your gospel. That you, O God, are over us. You're on the throne. Lord, you're leading people to us. Let our harvest be great for you. Father, let us be faithful with every person that you call to us. Lord, let us be faithful with everything you tell us to say. Let us be faithful with your scriptures, faithful with your gospel, faithful with our children, faithful with our grandchildren, faithful with our neighbors. Lord, faithful because you are worthy, God. You're the king of all creation. You're our Lord and our champion and our savior. And so we praise you and we bow before you and we say, Lord, cleanse our hearts that the overflow of our hearts would not be any defilement, but instead would be the glory of the Lord as we proclaim your praise. Thank you, Lord, that we are yours. We praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, know his peace this week. Know that you are called by his name and that you are his. And do the works of ministry to build up people as he brings them to you. God bless you. Have a great day. We're dismissed. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.